Good morning, Doxa. How are we doing today? Hey, I'm Nate. If we haven't met yet, say hi, Nate. Hey, you'll get used to that, okay? Um, listen, we, uh, we're continuing this series in the book of Galatians. If you've got a Bible, turn to Galatians chapter 1. If you don't have one, we'd love to give you a Bible. Um, stop by, like at the coffee bar at the end, info corner. We want to get the Word of God in your hands. Um, open up Galatians 1. This morning we're going to read about Paul's story as he's been trying to defend his ministry to this church he planted. And it's going to introduce a question for us to consider today. And this is a question that you've probably heard in church and you sort of expect a guy like me sitting on stage to ask you. When was the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? All God's people said, oh, right? Like, oh man, another one of those? Like, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's been too long, whatever. You, you kind of expect in church to hear, hear people tell you like, okay, you gotta, you gotta go share the gospel. You gotta go preach the gospel. And, and for some of us, you've, you've grown so like used to hearing that that you're like, all right, Another rah-rah speech, another week of feeling some kind of like weird guilt or whatever. I'm going to go try hard to do it and then, you know, give it two or three weeks. We'll be talking about something else, right? But some of you, you're a new Christian. You're like, how would I ever get tired of telling people about this, right? This is amazing. Okay, give it time. Get around some older saints. We'll see how you feel. But, but listen to me. Like, we know as Christians we're, we, we have this opportunity and this responsibility to go tell people about Jesus. And yet, and yet for, for some for some of us or some parts of our life, it can feel like, man, I don't know the last time I told somebody about Jesus. Man, I can, I can sort of talk about faith and church stuff, but actually telling people about Jesus, that, that he's the Savior, that I'm a sinner, that you're a sinner, we need a Savior, and his name is Jesus. I, I don't know the last time I did that. So, so take it a step back. When was the last time you invited someone to an out, your connection group? Or even just to, to come to church with you and to, to hear the preaching of the word and then eat lunch after and just process these things. Like, yeah, but isn't Rob's job to do that, right? He goes to the gym and people just talking about Jesus. That's great for him. Or, you know, I bring him here so that you can tell him about Jesus, right? Like, come on. As I was praying last night for us this morning for this message, what I don't want is this to be some kind of rah-rah speech where it's like go out and try really hard until like Tuesday afternoon and then you sort of burn out. But, but an invitation from God through his word to us to be a different kind of people. As I've talked to people about sharing the gospel and even diagnosed my own heart, I think we, we run into some consistent issues. One thing I've heard time and time again is like, what if somebody asked me a question I don't know how to answer, right? I'm not confident that I can do the kind of like tactics, verbal jujitsu to answer everything. They're like, yeah, but what about evolution? Yeah, you know, what, yeah, but what about the authority of scripture? Yeah, like, you know, hasn't it been through 27 translate? Whatever, right? You're like, I don't know if I can answer every question, so what's gonna happen if somebody like asks me this stuff and I'm put on the spot? Or, or what if people think differently of me after I tell them I'm a Christian and tell them the gospel? Won't that introduce some awkwardness and some like weirdness in this relationship? Like I'm trying to be friends before I get to Jesus, you know. Yeah, we're on year five of friendship, but I'll get there eventually, right? We're gonna, we're, I'm working on it. It's the slow game, right? Your confidence in your ability to argue and reason and answer, maybe, it, maybe it's just non-existent. Or your confidence that it won't totally wreck and ruin the friendship might. <sighs> or maybe even as you hear me say this, you're like, I don't know who I would even tell about Jesus. Because I know a lot of Christians, but I don't know a lot of people that don't know Jesus. You know? I, I come to church, I got my church friends, I got my, my community, my connection group, whatever. I don't really know that many people who aren't Christians. I kind of see them around, I've heard of them, they're at the grocery store somewhere. I just don't know if I know them. So are you telling me I have to go, like, go talk to some stranger in the 
grocery store and be like, oh, onions, huh? They make you cry. You know what else make you cry? Sin, right? Like, <laughs> don't, please do not use that one. That would not be good. I heard a church, like, but, but you know, this kind of message might make you think, I got to go be one of those people, and I don't know if I'm that, gang. So leave it to Rob at the gym late at night, whatever. If you're not a Christian this morning, maybe you're thinking like, yeah, I don't know if I could be one of those people. I don't want to be like that. And you know if you, if you get in with Jesus and with his people, you've you got to start telling people about him. That's just like part of the normal deal. Like maybe what's been holding you back from being a Christian is you don't want people to think differently of you if you do become a Christian and start telling people that. Because it's so clear through the whole New Testament that, that God's command to his people, like obedience means telling people about Jesus and what he's done. In the Great Commission in Matthew 28, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all the nations. Like to the ends of the earth, you and I are supposed to go and tell people about Jesus. In Acts 1, he tells his disciples, you're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, and the pattern of Acts is people going out and doing that. Even Peter later on says, like, be ready to, to give a reason for the hope that you have. Friend, if you're a Christian this morning, there is no escaping this command from God. But then we kind of hit the spot of like, ah, oh, okay, it's duty, it's frustration, it's disappointment, it's, it's burning out by Tuesday afternoon, I don't know if I can do this again. Is this another one of those messages? Does God have something better for us than feeling kind of like bad about ourselves, so bad that we go tell people how good Jesus is for a couple days and then need another like rah-rah speech in a few weeks? I think God has something more for us than that. I think God has something way better for us than just sort of feeling bad enough to, to share the gospel and moving past it. I think there's actually an invitation for you and me this morning that could bring freedom and great joy as we talk about Jesus. Even if we're not confident that we have every answer and every argument, every whatever nailed. I think if we go to God's word this morning, we might actually find some hope that lasts beyond the middle of this week for the years to come. Let's open our Bibles. Galatians chapter one. We're continuing on this series. Just for a little background, again, Paul, the the apostle and church planter, has has planted a church in a city called Galatia, in a a region there. There's churches there. And and after he left, other teachers moved in and said, hey, yeah, Jesus is good, but Paul was kind of missing some stuff. If you really want to be good with God, you've got to start following the Old Testament law. You've got to add these these things in. You, You need these signs and symbols of real faithfulness for God. Jesus is good. He's very important, but he's not quite enough. You've got to do these other things if you really want to be right with God. If you want to be kind of an A-class Christian, you got to add these things to it. And Paul is writing this letter back going like, no, you've missed it. This isn't some clever argument from people. This isn't built on man's logic. This is from God. And he's going to give us his testimony, his story of how he came to know Jesus as a witness and example of, of how good Jesus is. So as we read through his story, his testimony, we're, we're going to read through it with three lenses. First, we're just going to look at the facts. Like, what is his story? What is Paul's testimony? We're going to go back through it again after that and go, okay, where do we see God's power in this, this power we need to be motivated to tell people about Jesus? And then finally, we're going to see how that addresses our confidence issue. Where do we find the confidence to go out and share the gospel that God's calling us to? You ready for that? Someone say, yep. All right, let's go to work. Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 10, and we'll, we'll finish the whole um, first chapter today, so it'll end at 24. Galatians 1.10, Paul writes, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? That's kind of what he was being accused of by, um, by the people. Like it, This is sort of for man's approval, whatever. He's saying, am I trying to please man? 
If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Notice that word still. There was a point in his life, like he's diagnosing his own heart condition and going, there was a point where I was trying to please people. That was my, that was my MO, that was what I was operating under, but I'm not there anymore. And he's going to tell them the story of how he moved from trying to please people to pleasing God. Verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. That is a central point, and we're going to get back to that when we talk about God's power here. Verse 12, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through revelation of Jesus Christ. A parallel to to what we're going to read next actually comes in Acts chapter 9. That's another perspective on what happened here. Luke gives an account of how Paul became a Christian. If you want to just read another angle of this, go to Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 30. And one thing that encouraged me as I was reading this is like, the Bible is real history. These two different authors talking about the same events in Paul's life, giving slightly different angles and perspectives on it, but talking about what God really did in Paul. So this is the story of how he came to become a Christian. He starts with his life before Christ. Look at verse 13. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. He was this advancing, excelling young rabbi student. He was following the traditions that had been handed down. He, he calls them the traditions of his fathers. Actually, Jesus got in a lot of trouble in his ministry for breaking some of these traditions. The rabbis had a perspective that um, there was the, the law written like to Moses, written down in the Torah in the Old Testament, but there were also these commands that they considered the, the oral law. Recorded later on, af- after this it would later be called the Mishnah. And, and even today, some Jewish people believe that those are as authoritative as the rest of Scripture. That if you really want to follow God, these are inspired commands that you've got to follow too. But Jesus and Paul are saying, hey, those are, those are traditions of man. Jesus got in trouble for not washing his hands ceremonially certain ways that, that are found in the rabbi's traditions and not in the law. Or for his disciples eating like wheat on the Sabbath when the rabbi said you have to do certain things this way. Paul is saying, I was one of those guys. I was so zealous and sincere and devoted to that. I was advancing. I was excelling among other people. He had a a famous rabbi teacher. He was advancing. And he says he was a persecutor of the church of God. In his sincerity, he believed the thing that he could do that would be best for the glory of God would be to crush Christianity to stop Christians in their tracks, to stop them from starting this thing where they said that this guy is, is God that, that died for them and rose to life. He was trying to stop that. He was a persecutor. Even today, men and women who come to know Jesus are, uh, face persecution. We have versions of that in our country, but across the world, there are men and women that if you come to know Jesus, your family can say, hey, you're dead to me. You're cut off. You're not part of our family. Get out of our house. You have no inheritance. You, you're gone. There are other places in the world where your family will kill you for the, for the family honor, the fam- family reputation of you becoming a Christian. You guys just say it's really hard to plant churches when, when all the people that come to Christ start getting killed off, right? Paul is saying, I was one of the people trying to stop this from happening, and he went from persecutor to preacher and planter. What happened in his life? What could happen that, that he would go from, from violently trying to destroy the church to, to, to planting churches? One thing you need to note, too, just for our day and our culture Paul was absolutely sincere in his belief before Christianity, and he was sincerely wrong. Did you see that? 
Sometimes we can, we can hit this sticky thing where we're like, man, how do I talk to my friend about Jesus? Because they, they are so sincere about what they believe. They believe it so wholeheartedly. They're so committed to it. I don't, I don't know how to talk about Jesus if they're so sincere there. Paul is saying it is possible to be absolutely sincere and sincerely wrong. That might save your marriage, right? Remember that fact, okay, gentlemen? Right? Like, the, the level of belief, the sincerity or confidence of your belief doesn't matter actually as much as the thing you put your confidence in. So what happened to him to go from persecutor to planter? Look at verse 15. But when he who set me apart before I was born, who called me by his grace, when he was pleased to reveal his son to me in order I might preach him among the Gentiles, I didn't immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. This, this verse 15, but thing in there. You, you start to see Paul pull this pattern out as he talks about the gospel later on in his other letters. This was a very early letter. But you see in Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians 4, he says, but God, like this but God moment in his life. Paul moving one direction, advancing and building confidence in his religious performance, and God interrupts the story. He wasn't looking for, for Jesus. He wasn't looking to become a Christian and God completely reroutes and reorients his life but God, God shows up and that becomes a pattern for how he starts to talk about the gospel. Dead in sin but God shows up. And, and it wasn't God showing up in the form of more rules and things to obey but it was the person of Jesus, God in flesh, revealed to him on the road to Damascus as he is going to persecute Christians there this light appears and he is knocked off of his horse and he's blinded with the glory of God revealed to him. He says, who are you? And it's Jesus. Again, not like good rules and religion to follow. It is Jesus himself saying, you've been persecuting me when you persecute my people. And one part of his story that I love, he doesn't actually like completely become a Christian right there in that moment. God sends him into Damascus to go meet a Christian who gets to explain Jesus to him and help him get baptized. Like God, like Jesus literally appears to this dude, but then he invites a Christian to be part of him coming to Christ. I love that, that invitation from God to this like regular dude in Damascus who's just like praying and he's like, hey, that persecutor's gonna come in, get him baptized, right? I love that. Anyway, that's not in the notes, but I love it. Okay, he's also really insistent he didn't go and consult anyone about this. He's, he's trying to make pains to explain the fact that this wasn't like a pyramid scheme or a multi-level marketing, excuse me, right? Like this wasn't, this wasn't some thing that, that, that was concocted where it's like, okay, um, Peter's in on level one and then Paul's kind of level two and then Galatians level three. It's not like that. It's God himself revealing who he is through Christ to Paul. And so he's got independent verification in his own life and the believers in Damascus. And then he's gonna tell us about later on when he met other believers and they confirmed this good news of the gospel. Look at verse 18. After three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. Cephas is, is another name for Peter. So before this, he's been in Arabia, the former Nabataean kingdom. Not like Saudi Arabia today, but um, in, in Jordan and the Levant, that area. And then he goes to Damascus. And what is he doing for three years? He's being discipled. He's reading his Bible. He's praying. He's gathering with believers. He's, he's starting to tell people about Jesus and begin to share what he's learning. Guys, just, just so you know, like even for Paul, discipleship takes time, right? Accept a little grace in that process, but also man, be intentional if you're in your three years. Like be intentional. You're gonna get out what you put in your time of discipleship, okay? Like maybe you've been in church for a long time and you still have not been discipled. Like you, 
show up. Be a part of what God is doing and grow. Again, it's not length of time in church that matters, but it's, it's devotion to Jesus, walking with him and being among his people. For three years, Paul is learning and growing and praying and reading his Bible and worshiping and starting to share what God is teaching him. And he goes up to Jerusalem and he meets with Peter. Verse 19, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. He is so insistent in this point that it, this is not a clever scheme. He wasn't colluding with people to try to find a way to trick people to believing Jesus. But they confirmed and affirmed what God had been doing in his life. They verified what God had already been showing him and teaching him. Two different groups of people. It's it's Paul and these disciples in Damascus and the disciples in Jerusalem both together coming and saying, yeah, Jesus is God. Yeah, the whole Old Testament is pointing to him. He is the Savior we need. Verse 21, then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. Cilicia is the region where his hometown Tarsus was. I was still unknown in person the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They're only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. That was his reputation. He had this reputation that started to spread like, okay, that dude used to hate us and now he's planting churches. What is going on here? And they glorified God because of me. He couldn't hide his past. He couldn't hide who he used to be. But also his, his work for Jesus and his new life was evident to people around. His reputation was spreading. This dude loves Jesus now. That's, that's his story. That's his testimony. There's a difference between a testimony and a biography. Do you know that? A biography and a testimony might both have dates and places and whatever. But a biography at the end of the day is really kind of about me. This is where I went. This is what I did. This is how it went for me. A testimony is about God. A testimony might, might have those, those, those names and dates and whatever like with, with Paul, but at the end of the day, when you leave hearing a testimony, you leave thinking about God. This is how God showed up. This is how God moved and transformed. Again, a biography might, might tell you how God sort of like showed up along the way, but at the end of the day, it's kind of about me. I used to be not so good. God, a little Jesus. Now I'm a way better person. Check me out now. A testimony is about how good God is for people like us. God's showing up. And so after reading a testimony like this, our eyes are drawn to the power of God. Like, who is this God and what is he like that would interrupt Paul's story like this? Let's just look back at our passage with that lens of like, what is this God like? Who is he? Look at verse 11. Again, he says, this gospel was not man's gospel. That's such an important point because listen, if this was man's gospel, if this was a a philosophy or an idea, a worldview made up by people, it might have some power. It might have some power to help you or clean up your life a little bit, but it would always be in danger of of another better argument or worldview coming and crushing it, right? If it's just one person's thoughts, another person's thoughts could beat it, but that is not the case. This is not something cleverly made up by a person. This is God's idea that he would save like this. If this was just man's thoughts, it might have some power to help you with your life a little bit, but it would not have the power to forgive you of sin to free you from slavery and to welcome you into, into heaven forever. This would not have eternal power to save you completely. But this is not man's gospel. This is not just clever ideas for a better life. This is actually God's power to save. Verse 12, again, where, where he says, he received it as a revelation through Jesus Christ. Romans 1.16 says, this is the power of God for salvation, this good news of what Jesus did. Last week, Rob told us, hey, when you move away from the gospel, you are actually moving away from God himself because the gospel is the revelation of Jesus. Not a revelation of a new way to live or new stuff to do, but a revelation of the person, God in flesh, Jesus, come to save. 
Jesus come to live a perfect life and die a final sacrificial death and to raise to life, proving he could beat sin, Satan, and hell. As the revelation of Jesus himself, when you share the gospel, it's Jesus, not, not just a good life system, some ideas, some thoughts from people. Those are two things we're seeing about the power of God. I also love, again, that, that verse 15, this like, but God moment. God interrupting his story. Listen, nobody comes to Christ because we're like trying really hard to be good people and God sees that and is like, man, you're trying really hard. Come on, join my team. You'll be great. God doesn't pick teams like a kid play, picking a kickball team on the playground, right? He's not looking for like, oh man, you, you look really smart. That would help my team out. You're pretty good. That would help my team out. You're really disciplined. Come on, join, right? He loves to pick the people that are weak in the world or foolish in the world or running away from him and interrupt our stories like Paul's so that his grace would be on display. You were not so good that God chose to save you. God was so good he chose to save you. God was so good that he interrupted your story. He is so powerful that he could find even Paul running to persecute Christians and turn him into someone running towards Jesus. God loves to interrupt stories. That's the powerful God we serve. I love where he says he he called him to preach among the Gentiles. This is some of the humor of God. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, he loves to use the the foolish to shame the wise, the weak to shame the strong. Paul was like genuinely a very brilliant man. He was very intelligent. But listen to me, when he talks about advancing in, in the traditions of his fathers and in Judaism, none of those things helped him out preaching in the pagan Roman Empire. Like the pagan Roman people weren't like, wow, you're a really religious Jew. Good for you. Like that wasn't, that wasn't culturally helpful for him. It was actually God's power to use his weakness that the gospel would shine brilliantly through him. That this, this one who was the advancing rabbi would actually be the apostle to the Gentiles. In a similar way, he takes Peter, this like small town fisherman to preach the gospel in Jerusalem. He loves to use the things that seem weak to actually show his power and strength through. In Acts 4.13, the religious leaders in Jerusalem look at Jesus' disciples and they're astonished because these are ordinary, unschooled men. And they note that they have been with Jesus. That's the point. Again, it wasn't Paul's like natural abilities or whatever that helped him proclaim the gospel. In fact, God intentionally sent him to people that he wouldn't have cultural capital with to share Jesus so that God's power would shine through him. God loves to use the weak and the foolish to demonstrate his strength, his wisdom. One final note, look at verse 24 again. They glorified God because of what he had done in Paul's life. Part of God's power is to take ordinary people and to rewrite the story of our lives for his glory. So it's not about Paul. It's not about his ability. It's not about his life. It's ultimately about God. God loves to use his power to rewrite the story of our lives and bring redemption in a way that points back to him, to his glory and his goodness. It's God's power to save him It's God's power in this gospel, the revelation of Jesus, and ultimately it's God's power for his glory to shine through a person like Paul or like you or me. So what does this do for our confidence? Again, it's one thing to be like, cool, good for you, Paul. Like, you lived how many years ago? Yeah, you rode around on horses planting churches. I'm not doing that, right? Like, what what does that actually mean for your confidence or my confidence when you go to work tomorrow, when you go to the grocery store, when you pick your kids up from school? What does that actually do for our confidence? For one thing, again, this, this shifts our confidence from ourselves to God. You don't have to have every answer. 
You don't have to be the smartest person in the room. You don't have to prove how you've you know, done all the research and all the thinking and whatever to share the gospel with somebody because at the end of the day, it's not about you anyway. And to be frank, guys, I didn't become a Christian because somebody argued my, me into the kingdom, right? I, I don't think that's your story either. I've not yet met a person who was like, yeah, I talked to somebody and they answered every question and I thought, well, dang it, I guess I'm a Christian now. You know, like, that, that's not how it works. Now, we do not shut off our brains. Christianity is a reasonable religion. We believe in a God that created the world with order and so we can understand reality. But those things ultimately do not save. It is a revelation of Jesus himself. But we get to shift the confidence from us and having every argument and every answer being able to answer every single thing with the right tactic or question, we shift it from us back to the person it belonged on in the first place, to God himself. Where if your friend that, that you've been sharing with goes, yeah, but what about this? You ever thought about it? You can say, no. But let's look at that together. Let's learn about that together because you are not on the line with God's gospel. Another thing, a challenge to our confidence is the fact that God loves to use our weakness instead of just our strength. Sometimes we can be so insistent of like, man, okay, I've got a good reputation here or people think well of me there or whatever. We, we focus so much on what people might think of us, how we are presenting or how we're coming off when at the end of the day, you are not on the line. It is not about you in the first place and so if you've been putting your confidence in your ability to be persuasive or winsome or, or, or whatever, authoritative in the room, actually your confidence has been in the wrong place the whole time. We put our confidence in the God that interrupts people's stories. Was Paul looking for Jesus? No, but Jesus came looking for Paul. And the people that you begin to share with or talk to about Jesus, you might not know what God is up to. In fact, 10 times out of 10, you don't really know what God is doing in the conversation in front of you. But God might be tracking that person down and chasing them down and beginning to open up their heart through you opening your mouth. Paul was not trying to meet Jesus on the road to Damascus and yet Jesus met with him and then brought him to Damascus where you could meet an ordinary Christian who would explain the gospel and get him baptized and unleash him to a life on mission. Part of how this changes our confidence is that God might actually bring you to places where you are not confident. Whether it's meeting with the Paul, the persecutor, or taking you to the ends of the earth, he might begin to take you places that are outside of your comfort zone to go tell people about him. Like maybe it's across the street to your neighbor or across the hall or across the world. Maybe he is actually inviting you to go be part of churches being planted around the world. And you're not confident, like you're freaked out, you're scared with that. You've got, I got a mortgage, I got, I don't know, I got plans, God. Like what about my boat? Like whatever. And God is trying to unsettle your confidence because your confidence has been in this life you've been building for yourself. And, and if, if you won't go across the world, at least go to Milwaukee, okay? We'll get you there, we'll do that, but... Again, our confidence shifts from our plans, our authority, our confidence in the rooms we're in, the, the ways that we've been building a life or reputation and back to the one it was always meant to be on, God himself. And finally, our confidence when we read verse 24, they glorify God because of me. At the end of the day, God is strong enough to be glorified through your life. Even your weak, failing, stumbling efforts to follow him and share the gospel. Like God is actually good enough and kind enough to be glorified when you fall flat on your face talking about the gospel. He's not glorified by you being really strong and smart and capable. He's glorified by him being strong and showing his strength through your weakness. 
through all of this as we read his testimony, I think what God is trying to do is shift our confidence off of ourselves and back to where it always belonged, back onto him. And the Galatian Christians reading this in the first century, their, their minds weren't supposed to think like, man, Paul, you're so good, you're so strong, you're so smart. Paul is trying to tell them with us, look at God, the one who reveals himself and interrupts our story and works all things out for the good of those who love him, for his glory, for our good, even when he takes people like us and interrupts our story. Here's a phrase I just want to, to use to capture what we need to be seeing here this morning. Confidence in God leads to boldness with his gospel. Confidence in God leads to boldness with his gospel. And keep that, keep that up there for me. Use this for a second to diagnose your heart. If you find yourself not bold with his gospel, if you find yourself actually not talking to people about Jesus or, or not reaching out to non-Christian friends, then maybe, maybe your confidence has been misplaced. Maybe you've been trying to put confidence in your own winsomeness, your own intelligence, your own ability, whatever. Whether you've been arrogant and kind of like a bully or a bulldog when you've been telling people about Jesus, like you've been talking to them about Jesus but you don't really sound like Jesus, right? Or maybe you've been insecure and so you don't talk about Jesus because again, you, you, you don't have confidence. The invitation from our passage this morning is to actually like think about ourselves less and think about him more and his sufficiency for us. He didn't save you because he wanted you to go out and work hard to try to prove how good of a Christian you could be. He interrupted your story because he is good. And so maybe we actually as a church need to begin repenting of the ways that we've been trying to find confidence in ourselves. Like maybe the power of God through the spirit might be unleashed in your life when you begin raising your hand and going, actually, I'm living in verse 10 where I've been trying to please people. I've spent too long trying to please people and I've cared too much about their opinions and so my confidence hasn't been in God. I haven't been looking at what he wants me to do, the invitation from him. I've been caring too much about the people around you. Maybe your evangelism, your sharing this week would actually begin to break open if you would go to that person that God's been bringing to mind this whole time we've been talking and tell them, hey, I just need to apologize. I've cared more about what you think of me than what God thinks about me. Or, or at least start with God and say, God, I'm, I'm sorry, I've cared too much about what this person has thought of me. I haven't cared enough about what you think of me and what you've done. Part of our mission as a church is to share the gospel in our lives, the glory of God and the good of Madison. We won't be able to do that if we are stuck trying to please people. But if we remember that God is actually pleased with us through Christ, we might begin to have boldness with his gospel. So start with repentance. And if you're not a Christian this morning, what are you waiting for? Like genuinely, what are you waiting for? Are, are you waiting until you have all the answers or all the confidence? Like don't, don't turn your mind off. Christianity is a thoughtful, rational, intelligent religion. But listen to me. If you're waiting to get that final argument right and the jujitsu and so somebody puts you in the headlock and you're like, I'm a Christian. Like don't wait for that. And don't wait until you are on the road to Damascus and you have to get knocked off your horse. Why would you wait for that when God is inviting you this morning to surrender to him? You are a sinner and you need a savior. Me too. That's our story. That is this room. That is these people here. We need a savior and his name is Jesus. He lived a perfect life that you could not live. He died a sacrificial death so you don't have to if you would trust in him and he raised to life so you could have life with him now and forever. Don't wait. Don't wait. Friends, as we repent, we begin to get to share our testimony. 
We get to tell people like Paul what God has done in our lives. And listen to me, sometimes people are like, man, I got a boring testimony, you know? I wish I would have done heroin because that would have been way cooler, you know? But now I'm a Christian. You don't have a boring testimony. If God has brought you from death to life, you do not have a boring testimony. The God of the universe has looked on you and he said, I love you. I gave my son for you. Come into my family. He has taken your heart of stone and given you a heart of flesh. He has written his love over you. He's given you a new name. He has adopted you into his family. He says, call me father and you have a home with me forever in eternity. Friend, you do not have a boring testimony if you are in Christ. So go tell someone about it. Go tell them about what God has done in your life. And again, a testimony, not a biography. It doesn't have to be, I was so bad and now I'm not so bad, right? But God is so good and he has been so good and he interrupted my story. He is so good. And tell them what you've struggled with. Tell them where you've failed because it shows his power and strength in you to to forgive, to write his attributes of your life, his grace and his forgiveness and his power. Tell somebody. Maybe start with telling another Christian. Like maybe you need to actually like workshop it a little bit where you're like, hey, I think I've told my biography a lot, but would you help me tell my testimony? Increase their joy by talking about what God has done in your life. Ask them, how did you come to know Jesus? What has he done in your life? And together, increase your joy as you talk about his power and his goodness. As you talk to Christians about it, maybe overflow will begin to happen in your life. Overflow beats overwork. Overflow with the joy of God saving and redeeming and interrupting your story with his power and begin to tell people in your life that don't know him. And listen, friend, they, they can disagree with a lot. Somebody who doesn't know Jesus or whatever, they can disagree with all kinds of arguments and facts and whatever. It is very difficult to disagree with a transformed life. They might not like it, they might not agree with it, but they can't discount the fact that you have been saved by Jesus, that you're different than who you used to be. Share your testimony. With that eye on God, it is about him, his saving work, that they might meet Jesus as as you tell them how you met Jesus. And finally, just scatter seeds. That's the metaphor that Jesus used when he was talking about, about the word. Your responsibility is not to manufacture or make growth happen. It is not your job or responsibility to save somebody. That's God's work. Your confidence cannot be in you being a closer or really having the right thing to say at the right time. That's not it. Our confidence is on God. Again, in in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, I planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Jesus said, scatter the seed. It's gonna land on different soils and, and he'll do the work with the soil, but your job, your responsibility is open your mouth and tell them about Jesus. Scatter the seed and see what he does. Nobody was expecting Paul to become a Christian, Right? Nobody was like, oh man, he's gonna go pursue some Christians. He'll be, ah, we got him, right? Team Jesus. That, that wasn't what they were expecting. And so maybe actually this morning, you need to remember that fact. Maybe there's that person that you've been tempted to give up on. You stopped praying for them a little while ago because you're like, ah, there's no chance. There was no chance for Paul, but God. There was no chance for me, but God. Don't give up. Pray. Ask God to take their heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh. Pray that that he would help you have confidence in him to open your mouth and say again what he's done. Maybe you've given up on you being a Christian. You've given up hope that you could actually be saved and changed. Take your eyes off of yourself and your own ability to work hard or obey or even feel what you think you're supposed to feel and put them back on him, the one your confidence should have been in in the first place. Look back on the Savior and his sufficiency and strength for you instead of on yourself. 
Uh, there are stories in here of people that, that you didn't give up on and you've seen God work. People you prayed for for years and, and God showed up in their lives. There are stories in this room of God doing that already. But scatter the seed. Open your mouth and see if God is opening the heart in front of you. That's your responsibility. That, that's obedience as a response to God's grace and love to tell people about Jesus and get a front row seat to what he might do. Doc, so that's the invitation for us this morning. Not a rah-rah speech to go out and try harder, but an invitation to have a front row seat of what God might do. An invitation to tell people what he's already done in your life. An invitation to increase your joy as you take your confidence off of yourself and put it back on him. What would God do if we made this shift from confidence in, in anything else back to him? I think we would be a bold church with the gospel. Not, not a bully church or a bulldog church, but a bold church. I think we would tell people about Jesus. We might actually sound like Jesus when we talk about him because we're just witnesses of what he's done. If this good news has gone from the Middle East 2,000 years ago to Madison, Wisconsin, where is he gonna take it next? I think we'd be a hopeful church because our hope wouldn't be on what we could see or, or how well we could argue or whatever, but our hope would be back on God. Again, the one that interrupts stories of hopeless cases and transforms them and changes eternity through his saving power in Jesus. We'd be bold, we'd be hopeful, I think we'd be joyful. As we'd hear more and more stories of God redeeming lives and transforming people, we would be joyful as we remember how he's changed us. And so we wouldn't be as focused on ourselves anymore, but confident again in his power to save and to sanctify and sustain us to the end. We'd be joyful. Doc said, that's the, the kind of church I want to be part of where this room is packed full, not because we have some growth strategy or whatever, but because we are witnesses to our city, to the places that God's put you. We are neighbors and inviters, just inviting people to meet Jesus. At the gym where he put you, the workplace he put you, at the school he put you, at the grocery store he put you. Open your mouth, tell him what he's done for you, and see if God's opening a heart in front of you. Confidence in God leads to boldness with his gospel. Let's pray that he makes us a bold people together. Jesus, I confess with my friends here this morning, I have tried to put confidence in myself. My ability to ask questions or to reason or to answer or whatever, my ability to like lay out and present things. God, with my friends, I repent of trying to put confidence in myself. Like together we turn from that and we turn back to you where our confidence should have been the whole time. You are the one that is strong enough to save and interrupt a life in a story like you've done for us. You are the one that is strong enough to, to free and forgive of sin fully and completely through Christ. You are the one who will like, preserve your word and your gospel for men and women around the world to come to know you and trust you. Jesus, today we look to you because you are the faithful one. And so would you send us from here as people that are bold with your good news, testifying to what you've done in our lives. We pray in your name. Amen.